Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. From Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Uh, before I start this morning, I just want to say Happy Mother's Day. It's a g- oh, you're welcome. Emily really didn't do much at all. Uh, no, it's, it's a good reminder of a day that we do remember our mothers or those that maybe 
Even our, not even our biological mothers, but those that were a mother to us, ones that gave and loved. I know not all of you have your mother alive today, but it's a good day to honor her, remember her memory. Tell stories about your mother. Tell stories about the things that they did in your life. The good, maybe also not all, all the good, because they were real people. But it's a good day to honor them and to remember them. So make sure if they are around, call, text. If someone's not in your biological mother, just let them know, like, hey, I really appreciated you, what you did in my life. It's a good day to honor them. So we are starting a new series on Ruth. In a, just to let you know, today is not a Mother's Day message, necessarily. Um, wasn't really planned that way, but it just lined up that we're going to talk about Ruth. And so I might even encourage you over the next four weeks, as like your devotionals in the morning, to read through the book of Ruth a few times. Spend a little time with Ruth and read through it and get you to know it a little bit. And so this morning, I'm going to spend some time in Ruth chapter one, but also really want to set up Ruth as a whole. So the question I kind of want to answer this morning is, why is Ruth in the Bible? And it's not necessarily because this God said, let Ruth be in the Bible. But maybe there's more to that than just God saying that Ruth should be there. Because if you think about it, it's kind of a, it's a really small book. In some ways, it's a little odd because it's about Ruth, who's a Moabite. And is it really even like a love story? Like, that's what a lot of people look at it. Like, oh, this little love story between Ruth and Boaz. Uh, I grew up in the church, and church kids can be weird. It's true. It's true, yeah. Thanks, Bob. Uh, but it's always like, so the girls in the, like, our youth group are like, oh, I want a Boaz. I'm like, do you read the story of Ruth? Like, it's a really weird love story, but like... I don't really know if that's really why it's in the scriptures. Or is it because Ruth, spoiler alert, Ruth and Boaz do get married, and they have a son, and then that son has a son, and that son is King David. So is it just a lineage of King David? Like, is it just like, oh, we want to see where King David came from? Maybe. Also find it really interesting, if you read Ruth, the one character kind of missing in the story is actually God. Like in other parts of scripture, like God pops up all the time. Like he spoke, he said, like he's an active character. Ruth, God is not an active character. There's like twice in the scriptures where he's mentioned doing something active, but kind of passing. But never like, goes like, oh, I spoke to Ruth. I told Ruth to go with Naomi. I commanded Boaz to marry Ruth. We don't see that in this book. You don't see really God as one of these main characters. So why is Ruth in the scriptures? Why is it so important? So what I want to do this morning is look at, maybe Ruth isn't just a little separate book in the Bible. Maybe Ruth is really tied to all of scripture. Maybe there's something going on here as the author writes it of helping us tie to the beginnings of the Israelites. Maybe there's something there. So I want to talk about Shabbat, so I'm going to make it even more confusing. So we'll, we'll go from confusing to hopefully I can pull it together, and you're like, oh, I see. So Shabbat, also called a festival of feasts, or a festival of sorry, weeks, is uh, a time where the Israelites remember the Ten Commandments given to them at Mount Sinai. 
So it's called a festival of weeks because it's, remember, the seven weeks when Israelites left Egypt and they went to Mount Sinai. So it's to remember the law, the law that was given. If you read Ruth, there's really not much about law in it. It's like, don't murder. I don't really see that in Ruth. You know? There's not much there when it comes about law. And so, there, and so the question is, okay, my, why is Ruth read during this time? So one, that Ruth occurred during the barley harvest. Shavuot is remembered as the time that happens during the barley harvest. Could be something tied there. Shavuot is also the day that is said that King David was born and that King David died. So maybe Ruth is read because it's to remember King David, this major king in Israelite's history. There's this rabbi I really like, and he goes, well, maybe it's more than just that. Maybe it's actually about the law. Shavuot is about the Israelites receiving the Ten Commandments. Maybe it is about the law. Maybe Ruth is a narrative of the law being lived out. So it makes me step back a little bit. Okay, how does Ruth live out these Ten Commandments that are given to him? And if you think about the Ten Commandments, part of what's given to the Israelites is to show them how to live out being loyal to God. If Israelites are going to say, this is my God whom I'm going to follow, this is the one I'm going to say, this is my God, what does it really mean to live that out? And so with the Israelites being stuck in Egypt for so long, like God kind of shows them, if you're going to follow me, your life needs to look more like this. Like the first commandment, have no other gods before me. If you're going to follow me, you're not going to worship any other gods. It's just going to be me. And so this one rabbi talks about maybe Ruth is the narrative of the law being lived out. But the law itself is even more than just a law, a book of rules. But it's something that's already been happening in Scripture already. That from the beginning of the call of Israel, God is already kind of like, this is who I want my people to be. This is who, when I say, like, you are my people, maybe it's already been lived out before, and Israelite just needs a reminder of what it means to be lived out and is given these rules. And then we see it later here in the book of Ruth, being lived out in this Moabite woman. So there's a fun game you can play when you read scriptures. It's called, I've heard this before. If you think of like a whiteboard and you have one dot on it, so you can take that dot and you can come from all these different angles to go through that dot. Now, if you make two dots on a whiteboard, now you know how to connect the two. So a lot of times the authors will use previous scriptures to help make connections. So when you like reading through something, you're like, oh, maybe... Uh, that sounds familiar. That's, I, I, I know that. I've heard that. Maybe the author there is trying to make a point to connect the two so you understand what he's trying to say, what he's trying to get at, like the point of that part. So let's do this. Let's read Ruth 2.11. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to the people that you did not know before. Let's read the next passage. 
Genesis 12. This is the call of Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. This is the same land where Ruth is going and where Abraham was told to go. That these two people prior to it did not follow God. But God called Abraham. Called them to leave their God behind. To go to a foreign land. And so if the author Ruth puts this in there with like trying to make a connection here, maybe there's something tied to Abraham. Maybe there's something that you should pick up on when it comes to who Abraham is. So you start thinking about Abraham. So one of the things Abraham was known for was his kindness. What is Ruth known for? Oh, her kindness. Like Abraham, through stories, showed hospitality. He took care of people that were guests. He went out of his way to make people feel special. Like he was known for kindness. And so if you say like, okay, if Ruth is living out the Ten Commandments in some way, and maybe Abraham was to show why to live out the Ten Commandments. So there's this big question within scripture is, why did God choose Abraham? Because scripture does not do a good job of saying why. What I want is Abraham and then the 10-point list of why God chose Abraham. It is not there. So of all the people of Israel, of all, well not Israel, but all the people of the nation, of the world at this time, why this one man, this one person, to say, well, I'm going to make a nation that you're going to be a blessing to all nations. Why Abraham? Why him? So I'm going to take a big story and try to make it a little bit shorter. So there's a lot more stuff that goes around this, but I'll just kind of give you the short version. So the rabbis look at the genealogy, and they say there's something more there that's going on. What we learn is that Abraham had a brother, and his brother died. It looks like that brother was actually married to Sarah, the person who Abraham marries. So what that does in that culture is like, if you're, this is the way this was, but if you're a female and your husband dies, if you can't get remarried, if you have no sons, you really have no future. There's no one to take care of you. You live in poverty. Eh, sounds familiar, doesn't it? Some story about a husband dying, her sons die, she has no future, no one to take care of her. Sounds like Naomi, maybe. So Abraham looks at his brother's wife through love and loyalty to his brother, says, I will marry Sarai. Except for Sarai is barren. She can't have kids. So what is that doing in that culture is saying that Abraham will no longer have a legacy. She marries, if he marries Sarai, there is no future for him. She will not bore him sons. His name will not be carried on. Like his lineage is ended by choosing to take care of his brother's wife. And so that's why the rabbis say that God chose Abraham for that reason. A man was willing to give up everything to take care of another. To love another so much that he would abandon his future. 
In some ways, doesn't that sound like Ruth? So, let me go ahead and read Ruth 1, 11 through 13 here. But Naomi said, to, said, return home, my daughters. Why would you have come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still a hope for me. Even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than you, for, for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. So, what Naomi is saying is, like, I have no more sons for you. I still have to get married again. Even if I had another son, it would be too long. You have no future with me. There will be no one in my family to take care of you. Yes, of course, we have like Boaz, we learn about later. But for this moment, at this time, Ruth does not see any future with someone taking care of her. Naomi is not going to give her another husband. There will be no one in Naomi's family there to take care of her. So there is this oral tradition that talks about Ruth and Orpah being Moabite princesses. Royalty. So when Nomi says, go back to your families, go back to your gods, it's because Nomi sees like, oh no, you have someone to take care of you. Like, there is a future still for you. You have a mom and dad, probably, that is probably wealthy, that probably can watch over their daughters. So Nomi says, go back. Choose that life, because you have no life with me. And Orpah goes back. But Ruth says, no. I'm going to be loyal to you. I'm going to choose you. And by doing so, I know that I'm choosing poverty. I know I'm not choosing a future. But this is the right thing for me to do. It is just like Abraham saying to Sarai, I'm going to take care of you. I know what that means. I know what that means for my future. So this is interesting contrast that happens from Genesis 11 to Genesis 12. So Genesis 11 talks about the nations. Genesis 12 talks about Abraham's calling one man. But there's this really interesting contrast and comparison that happens going on. So let's go ahead and read Genesis 11 here. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Let us make a name for ourselves. There was something going on with the Tower of Babel that God saw. It's like, you guys are looking to make a name for yourselves. And when I think of God, I think of a good God. Like, what is God stopping here? Like, these people are coming together. Like, we know through Scripture past that God said he would no longer flood the earth. So my belief is in some way with the Tower of Babel, this scattering of the people, is to save them. 
from their own destruction. But we have this idea that we will we'll make our life in our, in our own way, how we see it. It's something about like the we part of it, like we will make it not about what God, not about others, but how we see it. You compare that to just the next chapter over. That God looks at this man that says, it's not about what I'm going to create. It's about me loving another person. About taking care of another, even it means the end for me. So when you look at this, the idea of going from, okay, why did God choose Abraham? That's someone that was looked out for others. That through his loyalty to God, he would treat people a certain way. We look at the law. The law is like how to be loyal to God and how we treat other people. Then we look at Ruth. Like Ruth living that out. Loyal to God. Because she says she followed Naomi. She's like, I will have no other gods besides your God. That means that I'm going to leave my gods home. I'm not going to take them with me. I'm not going to take my idols with me, but your God will be my God. Like living out the first commandment right there. And we see how she lives it out in the treatment of Ruth, or treatment of Naomi. This kindness, this compassion for her mother-in-law. So there's actually even more connection going on here between Abraham and Ruth. So Genesis 17, 6. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. So back in Genesis 17, Abraham is telling, or God is telling Abraham, like, I will have kings come from you. So Ruth is written during the time of Judges. It's a, it's a ways past this. And there are no kings yet in Israel. But there's a promise made that kings will come from Abraham. But it has not happened yet. I wonder why. So Judges 21-25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Does it sound a little bit like the Tower of Babel? Follow their own desires, follow their own way. That there's a people of Israel that was supposed to be looking out for others, what God commanded them to do, how to live. And what were they doing? They were doing things in their own way. So some of the oral history that goes around Ruth is that Ruth's husband, or not Ruth's husband, sorry, Naomi's husband, when they lived in Bethlehem before they left because of the famine, that he was actually a rich man. And so it goes with the idea of like, why did he leave Bethlehem? He was wealthy. The thing is, he should have stayed there and took care of his people. He should have been there during the famine to help out his family, his extended family, his, 
the community there. But he chose to leave, to go away from the chosen land to Moab. I don't know what happened there between like how he lost his life, how they lost everything they had. But he did what was it's like in his own, was right in his own eyes, choosing to take care of himself in some way instead of taking care of the community around him. So like during Judges, think of someone like Samson. You know, they got long hair that lost his power when he got it cut. Like, was he really, he wasn't that great of a person to have around to show who God was to the world around him. It's pretty selfish. So we have all these people in Israel that seems to be all about themselves. All was good in their own eyes. And so when we arrive in Moab, one of the brothers, one of the sons, marries Ruth. It is Ruth that we see kings come from. Not from an Israelite, but someone from Moab. Because Ruth is the type of person that God is looking for. This is why Ruth is in the Bible. It's a reminder to us, like we saw in Abraham, the type of person that God wants us to be. She's an example that we need to follow. Not only, though, that we look at it, that from her came King David, but from her also came the King of Kings. Matthew 1. I'm going to shorten the whole passage down. You can look through the genealogy, but it's 1 through 16 by put it down to just a couple of verses. And Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. That there's this genealogy that shows, beginning actually shows from Abraham, and it shows from Ruth to Christ. That from Ruth, because she chose to follow Naomi, because she chose not to actually have a future, but to take care of her mother-in-law, from her the king of kings was born. And my belief is the character of Abraham and the character of Ruth is perfectly shown in Christ. Philippians here writes this about Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count quality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. That's this character of Abraham. I will humble myself. I will take care of another. Ruth. I could go back and be taken care of, but I'm going to humble myself and take care of Naomi. 
Jesus showing up. I'm going to humble myself because he could have been the world leader. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. But when God shows up in human form, what does he do? He becomes a servant. So how do we live this out? How do we look at these three characters and live this out in our lives? I know it's not a mother's sermon, but I'm going to start here. When I think of someone who gives up maybe their own dreams sometimes, gives up their physical health, financial future, like I think of a mother. That's not what you guys should be honored. Like how much have you given up for your kids? You can help your kids have dreams because you put yours on hold. Like, you need to be honored because of that, because that's a character that's being shown in these other three characters. That the pity of a mother is someone that goes, no, it's not about my future. It's not about my desire right now. It's about taking care of this infant, this son, this daughter, so they can have a better future. I'm willing to give my own life up for that. Like, that's where it's shown. But what, is it, what does it look like to make a name for yourselves in other ways in your life? Because sometimes we look at, like, okay, so the judges, Tower of Babel, it was all about making a name for themselves. So in my life right now, am I trying to make a name for myself? Because my hope would be, like, someone in this room that you would own your own business. You'd own a Fortune 500 company. That'd be great. But what is the purpose of it? What's the point of it? To make a name great for yourself? Or is it something else? Going to school, going to college, getting a degree, getting done with it, is about making a name great for yourself? Or is it about something else? Like having that filter in your life of, okay, why do I really want this in my life? Like what's really the outcome I'm searching for? Is it a way for me to be a blessing to those around me? Is it a way for me to take care of the people that I love? Take care of my community in some way? Like is that the filter? Is that the purpose that goes there? So maybe I'll give you a place to start. So this is really deep. The place to start is to be kind. It's simple. It's not actually complex. That we look at Abraham, known for his kindness. We look at Ruth, known for her kindness. Of course, we look at Jesus, and known for his kindness. For us in our lives, what does it look like to just be known for being kind? Like my wife reminds me all the time of like Christianity to follow God sometimes it just needs to be simple. There's so much there like, oh, we do this and we do this and we do this, but back it up for a second. Like, okay, if I'm going to be loyal to God, what does my life look like? The way to start that is just to be kind. It's easy to be kind to people that are nice to us. So when the guy that was an idiot driver this morning... 
I was like, oh man, I gotta still be kind, kind to him too. I'm like, oh, that's hard. But think in your life, just your neighbors. Are you go out to eat after church and your server is terrible? What does it look like just to be kind? To look around those that are maybe people that you have conflict with, that don't believe the same thing that you believe, that maybe even harasses you about what you believe and how you live your life in some way. It seems like scripture says that you turn and be kind to them. That the book of Ruth is a reminder of that. If we're going to follow God, we are going to be a people that's known for kindness. I have a question for you this morning. For you, think about this idea. What do you want to be known for compared to what should you be known for? Like as you think about your life, as your future, something like that, what do you want to be known for compared to what you should be known for? Because I think in some ways, what we want to be known for a lot of times, success. Financially stable, or having a lot of money, or smart, or intelligent, or whatever that might be that you have on to look good for other people in a lot of ways. But what should you be known for? I think about us as a church. As a church, what should we be known for? My hope would be that you say, someone asks you where you go to church, and you go, real life, oh, those people are kind. I don't agree with what they say. But at the end of the day, they look after me. They care about me. When as I was in need, they stepped up and helped me. Even though we don't agree on basically everything or anything. But as a church, we're known for being a people of kind. Because that's from the very beginning when God called his people. He chose someone that showed kindness to Sarai. We see it in Ruth as she showed kindness to Naomi. We see it in Jesus as she showed kindness to the world around us. Genesis 12, 1-2. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God is the one that makes your name great. We get to be a blessing. That you get to be a blessing to those around you. That's how we live this out. That we follow God, we follow his law, we follow the commandments so that we can be a blessing to those around us. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.